Good morning again, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. And uh, hey, my family and I, we, we want to sincerely thank you, our church family, uh, for your prayers and encouragement and, and support uh, for our upcoming trip to Swaziland. We leave in a couple weeks. And uh, we were hoping to raise about $6,000 to help cover the remainder of our costs. Uh, and between Cedar Home and our friends outside of Cedar Home, uh, God has given us twice that amount. Um, so, yeah. So, thank you very much. Yeah. And so, thankfully, it means we'll, we'll have extra money to do ministry while we're over there and to help. And so, we just appreciate your prayers uh, for, for God's wisdom and discernment as, as we, we figure out how best to uh, steward the money that's been given in our care because there are endless needs over there. Um, but we are very excited to see what God's going to do. And just thank you so much for being part of it with us. Um, every, every few weeks, our, our Swaziland missionary, Mikalisi, or the proper way to say it is Olisi, uh, he, uh, he sends me a text with uh, a different news article from Swaziland about some of the crazy stuff that uh, self-proclaimed Christian pastors are teaching over in Swaziland. And uh, what, there's one pastor, he sent me this article, one pastor claims that he cannot preach with the power of the Holy Spirit if his feet are touching the ground. And so he insists that church members get on the ground on all fours while he preaches and, so that he can stand on them instead of standing on the ground, and they do it. And he walks across their backs while he preaches. Uh, other pastors I've read have, have told their church members that if they want to receive the Lord's blessing, then uh, they, they must do their part by demonstrating their faith in the Lord uh, by, by drinking gasoline um, or rat poison, which has happened. And, and sadly, people do this because they want the Lord to bless them. And since many of them don't have access to the Bible, you know, who do they trust? They trust their pastor that he's telling them the truth, that this is what God's word tells us to do. And then I read of another pastor in South Africa who, who claims to be a healer, and once a year, crowds of Christians flock to him at this, this uh, I think it's a beach in South Africa, and uh, he tells them all to form a line as he walks by them so that when his shadow passes over them, it will heal them from their sicknesses. And the reality is that in much of Africa, people look to the spiritual world for physical healing because um, most people don't have health insurance. They don't have good hospitals or doctors that they can go to whenever they want. And so they must, must rely on, on the supernatural world for, for healing. And sadly, many suffering people in Africa and in our own country and all across the world uh, have been led astray by something called the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. And the health and wealth gospel falsely teaches that because Jesus died and rose again, then God's will for you is to be healthy and wealthy right now during your life on earth. And if you're not healthy and wealthy and you call yourself a Christian, then you're doing something wrong. That's the teaching. And health and wealth teachers will tell people that um, if they're sick or if they're poor, then it's because they have not given enough money to their pastors or to their church. Uh, or maybe they're sick because they, they don't trust God enough. 
or they're not being physically healed from an ailment because uh, there must be an unconfessed sin, either in their life or something they've forgotten about in their past, which is holding God back from healing them. Uh, And this is extremely hurtful and detrimental to people. Uh, Health and wealth teachers, along with many false teachers, do not teach scripture in context, but typically will take one Bible verse out of context and twist it to say whatever they want to say. And if you've read your Bible, you know this is exactly how Satan uses scripture, right? He'll take a scripture and then he'll twist it to say something it doesn't actually say. So the health and wealth gospel, it, it misrepresents God Uh, It misrepresents why Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and it misrepresents what God wants for us. So, if health and wealth teaching is wrong, then how should Christians think about sickness and suffering? Uh, Did Jesus die and rise again to give us abundant physical life or just abundant spiritual life? When we are sick or injured, does God want us to be physically healed? Well, if you got your Bible with you, then please open it up and turn with me to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. This is a, it's a really important passage about some of the miraculous healings that the Holy Spirit did among the first Christians. And what we want to do this morning is we want to try to understand what God is saying in this passage, and then... Uh, with his help, we want to try to correctly apply this passage to our lives as it pertains to our own physical suffering and mental suffering and, and spiritual suffering. Before we read God's word, let's, let's ask him to help us. Dear Lord Jesus, we call on you now and we're asking you to help us as we read your word. We are needy, Lord. We need you. And we are sinful people, Lord. We are prone to rebel against you. And so we thank you for dying on the cross to suffer the punishment of sin for all who trust in you. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, when you ascended into heaven, you gave us the Holy Spirit who indwells those who trust in you. Uh, the Holy Spirit who, who ministers to us, who teaches us, who empowers us to say no to ungodliness and now to pursue the righteous life that you desire for us. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would please turn us away from this world right now and turn us to you, Jesus. Help us to rejoice in you more than anything else. And we ask that you would protect us and our entire church family and this campus, protect us physically and spiritually from evil. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Acts 5, verse 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, 
bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So before we talk about this passage one verse at a time, it's, it's, this is, we're going to do something important. We need to remember what happened in God's story that led up to this passage that we're, we're looking at. And to see this in context, we have to see the, the whole storyline of human history. Okay? In the first few chapters of the Bible, we read that God created the universe. And he created this world and everything in this world. And at the end of his creating work, God created people as the pinnacle of his creation. The, the book of Genesis says that people alone were created in God's own image, his likeness. And so what that means is that people have a relationship with God and with his creation that is totally different than the rest of what God has made. And God created us to have a friendship with himself. He created us to glorify him through friendship with him because he is worthy of glory. He's worthy of our honor. He is God, we are not. He is the creator, we are the creation. And we glorify God by by doing what he tells us to do and by worshiping him and by loving the people uh, and, and the creation around us the same way that God loves people and the same way he loves cre- his creation. And, and in the Garden of Eden, this is how Adam and Eve lived, without sickness, without sin, without death, and God called it very good. It was a beautiful thing. And then seeing the beautiful thing that God was doing on earth for his glory, Satan wanted to ruin it. Satan had been an angel who chose to rebel against God instead of to obey God. And God eternally punished Satan and cast him out of his presence forever. And and when Jesus returns to earth again, he says that he will throw Satan into the lake of fire to suffer forever. But until that day... God allows Satan to dwell on earth. And so, so while uh, we wait for the day of Jesus' return, Satan has an opportunity to lead people astray from God. So he wants to take you and me, Satan does, and as many people as possible to hell with him so that on that last day he doesn't suffer alone. And the Bible says that Satan is on the prowl for an easy target, easy targets. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what's happening in our world right now. So when Adam and Eve were, were in the garden, glorifying God, loving one another, caring for the creation, Satan appeared to Adam and Eve, and he tempted them to rebel against God, just like he had rebelled against God. And Satan lied to Adam and Eve by twisting his words, and he told them, you're not going to die if you disobey God. That's ridiculous. God's not going to cast you away from himself. And Adam and Eve believed Satan. And they followed Satan instead of God. And when they did that, Adam and Eve brought sin into the human race. And when God saw that humanity had corrupted itself with sin, he rightly punished humanity for doing that. 
And even though God loved humanity and still loves humanity, he also was and is and always will be totally just. That means that God always does the right thing. He always does the fair thing. He always does what is right and good. And so humanity became, uh, became slaves to this, what they wanted, they thought they wanted, which is sin. They became slaves to sin. And as slaves to sin, every part of our human faculties, our, our minds, our wills, our bodies, our spirit, are now warped and don't work right. Okay. God says that the punishment for our sin is death, which is why humanity now also suffers everything that leads to death, right? The breakdown of our bodies, the breakdown of our minds, the breakdown of our relationships with others. And all these things ultimately lead to the breakdown of our lives after earth because God, the holy God, sends sinners who rebel against him away from himself to hell. So when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, which we call the fall, the fall of humanity, humanity was lost to Satan and sin and hell and death. And yet, the story of the rest of human history after that is about the faithfulness of God and the steadfast love of God towards sinners despite their sinfulness and their rebelliousness against God. God gave us his law, you remember in the book of Exodus, to, to show us how he wants us to live, how to, how to be blessed. But the law also shows us how woefully short we fall of his law because of the sin that's now in us. And then, we, and then we read of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Uh, Dylan talked about this, did a great job talking about this last week. Uh, it's the sacrificial system that God established so that we would see the seriousness of our sin. When you see that animal get its throat slit, that's what you deserve. <laughs> that's serious. The, it, God wants us to see this is not a, a joke. This is, your sin is serious, and, and he put this sacrificial system in place so that we would see our need for our Savior to save us from this, and so that we might have a way to still know God through faith as he temporarily covered our sins with the blood of bulls and goats and sheep in our place. But the human heart still didn't change. It hardened even more to this. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. He wants us to obey him and love him, not to kill animals because we don't want to obey him and love him, right? And after decades and decades of centuries of sacrificing animals for our sin, the entire sacrificial system came to this glorious end when Jesus, the Lamb of God, died on the cross. God the Son laid himself down on the cross as a once and for all time sacrifice. And Jesus purified everybody who belongs to him by covering them with his own blood, the blood of God. <laughs> Jesus satisfied the Father's wrath by suffering the suffering that we should suffer in eternity. Jesus suffered in our place. And as a result... This is what happens when we trust in Jesus. 
Jesus unites us to himself so that his death was our death. That the sin that he bore on the cross is now killed so that that no longer has say over us. It no longer condemns us so that now we have the righteousness of God which Jesus earned for us and we can live peacefully with God forever. <laughs> wow. And after, after his sacrificial death, Jesus rose from the dead three days later, unlike every other sacrifice that had ever been offered. And he commanded us now, his followers, to go preach this great news. To, to go tell the world by the power of the Holy Spirit that God is moving with power and you can be saved from your sin. And as they did this by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, in the book of Acts now, okay, where we're at, what God is doing is he's getting people back from sin and Satan. He's reclaiming what was lost. He is redeeming what rightfully belongs to him. So the light of God is pushing back the darkness of the world, and God is making people born again through faith in Jesus. And when Satan sees it happening, he trembles with fear, and he wants to ruin it. Because every time God saves a person's soul, every time God answers a prayer, every time God transforms a person's life, it reminds Satan that the world and everything in it is God's creation, not Satan's. It reminds Satan of what's to come for him. So God is undoing the work of Satan by advancing into Satan's territory with the power of the resurrected Christ. And in addition to saving souls, Jesus graciously continued to do physical healings through his followers by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in these miracles, Jesus gives us a vivid picture of what is to come someday for everybody who trusts in Jesus, abundant physical and spiritual health. Okay? Okay, now, that's the context. Now let's look at the passage. Verses 12 to 13 say... Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So remember that in the chapter before this, the, the Christians prayed to God. And they asked him to, to help them preach the gospel with boldness. Uh, as he did signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. And their prayer obviously aligned with God's will for them because that's exactly what happened. God continued to do signs and wonders through them as they uh, preached the gospel with boldness and power. Uh, in fact, verse 12 says that signs and wonders were a regular occurrence among them. That must have been awesome, Right? Now, it doesn't mean that the apostles could order God around to heal whoever they wanted to heal. Uh, no, even, even these miracles that they were doing, um, even though they were regular occurrences, they still happened according to God's sovereign timing and will. Okay. What it means, though, is that these Christians were experiencing a remarkable season in which the Holy Spirit was prompting the apostles to heal many people in Jesus' name. And now look at this, look at this. Look at where 
all of these signs and wonders were taking place. <laughs> in Solomon's portico, okay? Solomon's portico was a covered walkway in the Jewish temple. Okay, think about this. Just one chapter earlier, these guys were before the Jewish Sanhedrin, the, the Supreme Court who threatened them to stop doing ministry in Jesus' name. But not only didn't the apostles stop preaching the gospel, but they made their healing headquarters on the 50-yard line of the Jewish leader's home field. I mean, that's, that's incredible boldness. And when everybody in Jerusalem saw what they were doing and they saw the Christians and how they were living, there were a variety of responses to them that we, that we read about. Verse 13 says that many people held them in high esteem. But at the same time, some people were scared to get too close to the apostles uh, because the, the apostles were filled with <laughs> the power of God. Um, okay, this is really probably a bad analogy, but I'm going to try it. I wasn't planning on this. But one of, my fr- uh, one of my neighbors just recently bought like a really expensive drone. And... He wanted me to, like, see it, and I'm like, okay, this thing costs thousands of dollars. I don't want to touch it. Like, I seriously got kind of nervous, just like, it was really fragile and really light, and I'm like, okay, if this is how I respond to a drone with fear, can you imagine, seriously, seeing the power of God at work and just being scared to get too close to it? Um, Remember that that in this passage, God had just killed Ananias and Sapphira, who claimed to be Christians, right? And maybe they were. We don't don't really know. But they they lied to the church, and as a result, everybody in the community was filled with the fear of God. Everybody saw that the Lord was not a God to be toyed around with. And the same is true for us today. God is not a God to be toyed around with. He is alive, he is active, he is awesome, and he's greatly to be feared. Verse 14 says, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Did you catch that word? Multitudes? And it says, you see this phrase, more than ever? Believers were added to the Lord. This isn't saying more than ever people were attracted to their church. It says more than ever believers, people who really were born again, were added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. Now it's hard to imagine even more people trusting in the Lord than, ever, than, than earlier, because earlier, remember, the Lord saved 3,000 people in one day. This was incredible. Uh, God was doing a great revival here. That's what's happening. That the Holy Spirit was working powerfully through the, the gospel preaching of the apostles and through the evangelizing of the Christians. Many people were repenting and believing in Jesus. And it's important when we talk about miracles and, and kind of how they're intermixed here with the gospel preaching that nobody trusted in Jesus because of the miracles alone. Right? Miracles don't save. Jesus saves. God was using these miracles to till the soil in people's hearts. And and when the seed of the gospel was sown into their hearts through the preaching of the word, the spirit breathed into that seed life. 
to make people spiritually alive to God. Verse 15 says, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. So as more and more people in in Jerusalem were trusting in Jesus, uh, they carried more and more people, friends and relatives, out into the streets of Jerusalem, and they laid them on cots on the street and, and laid them down on mats on the ground. And as Peter was, was walking through Jerusalem, they hoped that his shadow might fall on some of them and heal them. Now this verse doesn't explicitly say that anyone was healed by Peter's shadow. However, it certainly might have happened. But as we apply this to our own lives, it's, it, this is what's important to remember. It was not Peter who healed anybody. It was not Peter's shadow that healed anybody. It was Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, doing the healing through the Holy Spirit. Remember, even in Jesus' own ministry, he used a variety of methods to heal people and showed that there's not like one magic method for healing people. And that's because Jesus wants us to know he is what we need. He is the healer. He he doesn't need shadows. He doesn't need uh, hands. He doesn't need handkerchiefs or holy water to heal. Jesus can heal with a word or just with a thought. That is one of the things you see, which is amazing. Jesus would heal people 20 miles away with a word. They're like, okay, go back your two-day journey or whatever, <laughs> your, your son is healed, right? That's how Jesus would work, and that's how he still does work. And so what this means for us is we must never idolize methods. We must never um, turn into idols the methods that God has used in the past to heal people. Rather, our hope for healing should only be in the Lord, and Jesus can heal people whatever, using whatever methods he wants to. That's reality. Verse 16 says, The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Remember, before Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, he told his followers that they would be his witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, and that they would move out from there to the ends of the earth. So we see here in verse 16 that the gospel is starting to spread, right? Starting to spread outside of Jerusalem to the surrounding areas. And in fact, people are, are bringing to Jerusalem their, their sick friends, their loved ones who are sick, those afflicted by demons. And the Lord healed them all through the apostles. This was an awesome season. Uh, these Christians were experiencing an extraordinary season in which the Holy Spirit was prompting the apostles to heal many people in Jesus' name according to God's will. So what is God's message for us here? And how do we apply this to our lives in 2018? Well, there's a lot that could be said, but, but I think there are at least four important questions worth addressing. First question is this, does God want us to be physically healed? Does God want us to be physically healed? And the answer is yes, thankfully. He doesn't owe that to us, 
But the answer is yes. God wants physical healing for everyone who trusts in Jesus. That's why Jesus died and rose again, to heal us completely, body and soul. God didn't die on the cross to partially save us, to partially heal us. We are a body, we are a soul. He, he, he died to save us completely. And Jesus' own resurrection body shows us what God's plan is for our resurrection bodies someday. Remember, Jesus had been flogged. He'd been beaten. He'd been nailed to a cross. He'd been stabbed in the heart. Jesus was raised, though, three days later in this, this glorious body. He didn't have, um, you know, bandages all over. His wounds were healed in, in three days. He was totally healed. He, he was no longer susceptible to sickness and to death and to pain. And... In the same way, Jesus says that he will resurrect our physical bodies from the ground when he returns on the last day. And everyone who trusts in him will have bodies like his, healed, glorious, eternal, no longer susceptible to suffering and sickness and pain and death. That's awesome. <laughs> Paul writes in Romans 8, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44, he says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And John writes in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so the question is not whether God wants to heal us because he does, or whether he will heal us because he will. The question is when will God heal our bodies? I like what Pastor Tony Merida says. <clears throat> he writes, ultimately we know that prayers for the healing of those who love Christ are always answered with a yes soon, or a yes later at the resurrection. You hear that? We know that the prayers for the healing of those who love Christ are always yes. Always answered with a yes soon or a yes later at the resurrection. That's because everybody who trusts in Jesus has already been united to Jesus and to his sin-defeating work in his death and resurrection. That means you will be healed someday, no question. That's great news. Your loved one will be healed someday, no question, if they trust in the Lord. What we don't know is what God's specific plan for our healing is in this life. Uh, will he heal us physically in the ways we hope he will? Uh, if so, will he heal us through natural means uh, or through supernatural means? Will he heal us immediately or gradually? Will he heal us the first time we, we ask for healing, or will he heal us after five years of asking, or 20 years? We've read about miracles, right, in the Bible, where there's people for four decades 
praying for healing, and then Jesus shows up and, in his sovereign timing, heals them. Or will God wait to heal us until after this life for purposes that only he, he knows? <clears throat> nobody, nobody knows but God when he will choose to heal us physically, but we who trust in Jesus can be confident, sure, that it is coming. And that gives us a reason to hope in the middle of our suffering. That gives us a reason to rejoice in our suffering because it means our suffering will not have the last word. This doesn't have the last word. You know, when you're really suffering and seconds feel like minutes and minutes feel like hours, God wants us to know this isn't the end for you. I know it feels like hell for you, but if you're in Christ, this is the closest you're going to experience to hell. That's, that's awesome. And it's only in Jesus because of what Jesus did. And we also know this, that Jesus tells us to keep praying and to keep asking him for healing. Jesus gave us plenty of parables, right, about the power of persistent prayer. And the good news is that while we're waiting for God to heal us, he, he promises us in his word that he is with us, uh, that we can rely on him for the mental and physical and spiritual strength we need. He says, because in our weakness, God meets us there and gives us the strength we need to persevere. That's the grace of God working through us and in us. Second question is this. Why don't we see signs and wonders and, and mass healings like this today? Why don't we see signs and wonders and mass healings like this today? Well, we gotta be careful not to paint all of the world with a broad stroke based on what our personal experience is. Uh, we are, this is the truth, we're unable to know what all God's doing right now, right? I'm finite, I'm not, I'm not God, I don't know what all he's doing in people's lives, physically and invisibly. And, um, Pastor John Piper says this, if we could collect all of the authentic stories all over the world, from all the missionaries and all the saints in all the countries of the world, all the cultures of the world, if we could collect all the millions of encounters between Christians and demons and Christians and sickness and all the so-called coincidences in the world, we would be stunned. We would think we were living in a world of miracles, which we are. So what is a miracle? Um, there are a lot of different definitions, but this is one way to think about it. Isn't it when the supernatural God intervenes into our natural world and makes something that happens in the natural world that wouldn't happen unless he intervened? And so think about this. Essentially, every time you pray, you're asking God to do a miracle. If you're asking God to do something. You're asking the supernatural God of the universe to work in your life to make something supernatural happen that wouldn't happen unless he intervened. If that's the definition of a miracle, then we know that God does miracles all the time. But what can happen is we can become so numb to the extraordinary, the extraordinary things that God does that, that we subtly think that extraordinary things are just ordinary things when they're not. Right? <clears throat> Today's a good example. Beautiful sunny day. 
The fact that that flaming ball of fire in the sky, which we call the sun, did not burn us up this morning is a miracle. And it's not because of luck that the sun happens to be where it is and we happen to be where we are. God put it there. That's what he says. Psalm 74, 16 says to God, yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. God's the one who put it there. Whenever a man's seed and a woman's egg come together to form a new life, that is a miracle. And when that happens, God isn't, think about this, he's not just making a new physical life. He fills that cell with a new human soul. That's not normal. That's not what dirt and dust does if you just let it sit there long enough. Right? God takes human cells and he breathes a human spirit into them. Psalm 139, 13 to 16 says, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Talking about his mother's uterus. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's a miracle. Okay, another example. Romans 8, 7 to 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, if we're unable to obey God, if we're unable to obey his law, if we cannot please God, then how in the world are we able to have faith in Jesus since faith in Jesus pleases God? Well, God has to do a miracle in our lives. He, he has to break into our lives and give us faith because we can't have faith on our own. And so when God gives us faith in Jesus and he makes us a new creation, he does a miracle. He makes, us, he makes a person born again. <clears throat> when we have baptisms, we're celebrating a miracle that God has done. It's a miracle celebration. It's awesome. We're, we're, think about this. <clears throat> Whenever a Christian couple fights to save their marriage because they want to honor the Lord, that's a miracle. <laughs> it is. Whenever a person says no to things that their flesh really wants to do because they want to honor the Lord, that's a miracle. Whenever, whenever somebody forgives somebody because they want to honor and obey the Lord, that is a miracle. And we're surrounded by miracles. We just have to look for them. And, and when God answers our prayers for miracles, we shouldn't then, this is what we're tempted to do, I'm tempted to do. We shouldn't then credit that miracle to anything other than God, right? 
Oh, it was a miracle. Oh, I wonder if it was just because he had surgery or the doctors or it was that medicine he took. No, God did a miracle. And so our job is, let's be sure to acknowledge that and to thank God and to worship God for doing a miracle. Now, this passage specifically is talking mostly about physical healing. And so... We know God obviously does not heal everyone in this life. But that certainly does not mean he doesn't heal anyone. Okay? God does heal some people from cancer and some people from chronic pain and from diseases and from addictions. If you looked at our church alone, you would see that. God has healed Christians from here from brain aneurysms in the past few years. God has healed people from brain tumors and given them miraculous recoveries. God has healed people from cancer and from infections in the past year. Now, even though it's not God's, it's not God's will, his plan for everyone to be healed in this life, he gives us promises to sustain us in the suffering. In Romans 8, 28, he promises that because of Jesus, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, in the midst of our pain, that doesn't necessarily make us feel good. But this hope is not a, this promise is not a, a promise that is true only if I want it to be true or only if I believe, it, believe hard enough that it's true. This is a promise bought with the blood of Jesus, and it's true, period. That's awesome. Because even when I don't feel like it's true, it's true. In Jesus, our suffering on earth, this is the other thing, it's not purposeless. It's not just, oh, Jesus isn't going to heal me, so I guess I just have to suffer. That's just, that's just how it is. That's not it. Satan meant our suffering for evil, but God redeems our suffering for our eternal blessing and for God's glory on this earth and in heaven. That's what's happening. And we may never experience a, uh, a revival like we read about in this passage, a revival of spiritual and physical uh, healing, but we should pray for it because God could still do it. And he will do it if it's in alignment with his purposes. And not to be too anticlimactic, but everybody who is physically healed in this life is still going to die. Right? Even Lazarus, who Jesus brought back from the dead, died again. And so much as we, as, as we want physical healing, we pray for physical healing in this life, the ultimate miracle for which we should be most thankful is that the Holy Spirit makes us born again through faith in Jesus. It's the promise of eternal health, spiritually and physically. And that's why Jesus told his disciples in Luke 10, 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. He's saying, don't, 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 don't just be, don't let the, 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 the apex of your life experience be the fact that you can cast out demons. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's a greater cause to rejoice. Okay, third question. Do signs and wonders diminish the authority of God's word? 
Do signs and wonders diminish the authority of God's word? In other words, since, since we believe that the Bible is God's perfect, finished word, since we believe that the Bible tells us everything we need to know to be eternally saved and to, to, be, to become like Jesus um, in, in holiness, and, and since we believe with the Apostle Paul that the gospel of God, the word of God, is the power of God unto salvation, then are signs and wonders even necessary anymore? Isn't God's word the only witness we really need? Well, more than that, can't signs and wonders be a become a distraction to us? Can't people fall into the temptation of seeking signs and wonders instead of seeking the truth of God's word? Yeah, that can happen. Um, if, if we're seeking signs and wonders instead of scripture, then that is evil. Or, or if we say that the presence of signs and wonders is more authoritative than God's word, then that's wrong. However, it is possible to ask God to do signs and wonders in a way that is not evil or wrong, but is actually honoring to God. Think about this. Signs and wonders is exactly what the Christians prayed for in Acts chapter 4. And that was when their gospel preaching was most powerful. John Piper wrote this really good article I read called Signs and Wonders Then and Now. And in it he says, signs and wonders are God's witness to his word. Okay? They're not in competition with the word. They're not against the word. They're not over the word. They are divine witnesses to the value and truth and necessity and centrality of the word. Signs and wonders are not the saving word of grace. They are God's secondary testimony to the word of his grace. Signs and wonders do not save. They are not the power of God unto salvation. They do not transform the heart any more than music or art or drama which accompany the gospel. Signs and wonders can be imitated by Satan. But the gospel is utterly contrary to Satan's nature. What changes the heart and saves the soul is the self-authenticating glory of Christ seen in the message of the gospel. That's what saves. So even though signs and wonders can show us God's power, we must never allow them to distract us from the truth of God's word and the power of his gospel and the exclusivity that it should have in our lives. And fourth, should sick Christians come to their pastor elders for healing? Should sick Christians come to their pastor elders for healing? And the answer given in the New Testament is yes. In the New Testament, God outlines certain circumstances in which Christians should ask the elders of the church to pray for their physical healing. This does not guarantee their physical healing, but God may grant them healing because they ask the elders to pray for them. In James 5, 13 to 16, we read, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So obviously, some sin is attributed to sickness. Jesus was clear to say, though, that not all sin is attributed to, as far as like an individual sin that you committed is attributed uh, to, to your sickness. But here at Cedar Home, we still do this. We, uh, when the elders are called upon, we anoint a sick person with oil as a symbol of them being set apart um, before the Lord. The, the, the oil itself is not holy. It's not this miraculous method, right? It is what God has used all throughout human history. It's, it's a symbol of separation for God's special anointing and purpose, whatever that is. And we pray for the person in the name of Jesus. Now, of course, this does not mean that only the prayers of the elders can heal people. No, we, we are a body, <laughs> and we need everybody to be praying for each other. But if you're, you're in special need of prayer for physical healing, then let the elders know, and we'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. Now, if you're here today, and, and you are suffering physically, I know some of you are. Um, if you're suffering emotionally, mentally, spiritually, God wants you to know this. You must turn to Jesus if you want to ever be healed. Jesus died so that you could be totally healed. If you're not a believer in Jesus, then physical healing is the least of your problems. Spiritual healing is what you need most. Jesus says, turn from sin, turn to him, trust in him alone, and God will make your spirit born again. And if you're here and you're a believer, then Jesus promises you he will never leave you or forsake you, right? Whatever circumstances you're in today, he promises he will give you strength when you have no strength. He promises you uh, that the Holy Spirit will pray for you when you don't even know what to pray for yourself. And whether Jesus heals you today or tomorrow or one day in the future, you can know this. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer physically. He knows what it's like to suffer emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And he suffered all of these things. He laid down his life for you to put an end to your suffering. While sin cast you away from God, Jesus in his death put sin to death, your sin to death, so that you can draw near to God. Jesus loves you, Christian, and one day he's gonna make you glorious like himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these promises in your word and that you have purchased these promises for all who trust in you by the power um, of what you did on the cross by your sin-bearing and sin-killing work on the cross by, by purifying us, God, in a way that the blood of lambs and goats could never purify us, but by covering us with the blood of God to purify us in your sight once for all. But you, you, you impute Jesus' righteousness to us. You, you consider Jesus' righteousness to be our own through faith. And so that now, God, we, we, we can come into your presence and we rest in Jesus' performance and not our own. 
And knowing that, God, it makes us, it makes us want to be like you and to pursue you and to please you. It makes us want to not turn to the sin and all the brokenness that we used to be chained to, but to, to turn around and, and, and to do things your way. And when we fall short, we can still know that you've forgiven us and we confess our sins, we repent from it again, and we know that our righteous standing before the Father has not changed one bit because we're in you, Jesus. I thank you for that. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today who are suffering, that you would meet them where they're at, um, that you would give them the strength and perseverance they need this day and tomorrow. You would meet them with more future grace that you haven't even poured out yet. I pray for our church family here who has lost loved ones to terrible suffering and sickness. We thank you, God, that those who know you are now in heaven no longer suffering. They're with you, they're dancing, they're leaping, they're joyful, their minds are right, their desire is you, they're totally satisfied by you, Jesus. And for all of us who know you, we're gonna see them again someday. Please uh, sustain us until that day. Please help us. Please protect us from Satan. Help us not to believe the lies that he whispers in our ear, that the promises of God aren't true, that you're not real. Help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord. We just need your help, and we pray, Lord, that you would, we, we do pray. We realize, God, that, the, that, that what we read in this passage was an extraordinary season in the history of the church in which you were doing amazing signs and wonders by prompting the apostles to heal people according to your will. We want that, Lord. We want to see your signs and wonders today that will not replace the word, but will glorify you and 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 lift up your word, God. We know, God, even if, 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 if you never did a sign or wonder again, you've given us everything we need in Jesus, and you revealed it to us through your perfect word. May we be satisfied with your word and with you, Jesus. We love you. We pray for more of your power in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.